Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Um, we've been in a series called First Things First. We're going to continue in that this morning. And um, we've been in Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis again. So if you want to go ahead and uh, open up to Genesis chapter 22, that's, that's where we're headed this morning. Um, how many of you remember 1985? Okay. <laughs> you were there. So some of you were like, I lived through it. I don't remember it. Uh, 1985. I remember 1985. Uh, and if I told you how old I was, that would make some of you feel really old. So I'm not going to say that. Uh, I'm not here to bring anybody down today. Um, but 1985. I do remember 1985. 1985 was... Uh, was the year I remember, I remember like Max Headroom, anybody remember Max Headroom, anybody remember that at all, no, the two of us remember Max Headroom, okay, go Google Max Headroom, um, but uh, Max Headroom helped a company called Coca-Cola sell a product, and in 1985, Coke came out with a new recipe, and they called it New Coke, does anybody remember New Coke? And New Coke was a huge disaster for Coca-Cola. I remember that. I, and they had gone through and they had done all these taste tests. I mean, they had done the research, the studies. They had people come in. And they had all these people that did these taste tests. And people preferred the taste of the New Coke over the, uh, the old Coke. And they would give them a sip of the new Coke, and it was sweeter. But what they found out was when they launched this and got rid of the old Coke or the original formula, that there was a huge backlash, a huge backlash that they did not anticipate. And years later, you have people who do research, and they have done basically just um, like marketing historic historical analysis on, on this whole fiasco with Coke that – what Coke didn't take into account was that people that take sips of the new Coke, they might like the first sip, but they don't want to sit down and drink an entire week of, you know, the new Coke. And it was just too sweet for them. As you continue to drink, you drink a whole can, it was just too much for them. And that's what they did not take into account when they did their test. And so when you have people like Malcolm Gladwell who looked back on, all these type of scenarios, and they, they look back and they say, yeah, they said you should have, you know, not just had people take a sip, but drink an entire can of it to see what that was like and how they felt after that, and if they wanted to buy a 12-pack and take it home and drink that for an entire week, and what they found was that people didn't, although they did initially like the sweeter taste. And, uh, and it's interesting because what Coke had to do was that they had to come back with the original recipe, right? And ta-da, this is what we have, and now that's what you see. You see Coke Classic, right? And that's what it says on the box. It says the original taste uh, because that's what people wanted. They wanted the original taste, especially people in the South, us Southerners. We took it personally, right? Because we don't order soda down here. We order a Coke. Everything is a Coke. I want a Coke. What kind of Coke do you want? Well, I want a Sprite Coke, right? It's like, and people from up north are like, that makes no sense at all. You guys are just weird. It's a, it's the southern thing, I promise you. But we took it personal, and so Coke had to back up. They had to backtrack. They went back to the original formula, and, and I think it was like 
2002 that they discontinued even the New Coke uh, recipe. Uh, and I've heard that they're going to try to resurrect that again. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, didn't they learn the first time? Um, but I think they have learned their lesson that it, you cannot take away the original taste. You cannot take away the original recipe. You can't improve on that. You can only make it different. And so, you know, that's, that's what they've learned. Coke learned a valuable lesson. I think that we can take uh, that story and take that account and apply it to where we're heading today. Um, today I want us to look at this idea of love in the Bible. And where do we find love? Because we've been talking about the first things in the Bible. Where do you, where do you see worship first? Where do you see uh, you know, worship stand out? And we talked about that the very first week, uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and God's order in life. And so uh, there are things that God has set, and we have been on this premise that the first will set the pattern for the rest. We've, we've been under this premise and that, that when God sets a pattern, the rest intends, should in, be intended to follow. And so with that same thought in mind, I want us to continue in, in that line of thought today. And so we ask that question, where did love come from? Where did love first show up? Where is the first place in the Bible that you see love? And I've already told you where we're going. We're going to the book of Genesis. But I'm probably uh, going to mess some of you up because we're not going where some of you think we're going. Some of you think we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. We're not going to talk about Adam and Eve, right? Because that is not the first place where we see the lo word love show up. The first place where we see the word love show up is actually all the way in Genesis chapter 22. And this is a story that many of you are familiar with, uh, but I want us to go ahead and read this passage, just one passage here, in Genesis chapter 22. And this is in verse 2. This is God speaking to Abraham. And this is what God said. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What a great story, right, to show your love. Does that seem like the weirdest place for love to show up? Anybody? Does that seem like, they said, this does not seem like a story of love, Pastor Ryan. This seems like a crazy story. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you've had a difficult time with this story. Maybe you've had a difficult time with God telling Abraham, hey, go sacrifice your son, uh, your only son that, that you love. And, and, and so this is the first place where love shows up in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. And this is the Hebrew word ahava. Ahava is the word here that uh, you find uh, that, that's translated love, your, the son that you love. And what it means, the root word that this ahava comes from, what the root means is to give. And that's the idea, is that to give. Your son that I gave you, Abraham, I want you to give him back. Right? There's a whole lot of giving going on. But isn't that what love is? Isn't that what love is? Love is really, uh, it is for us to give away. Love is something that we give away. And so ahava means to give and it means this not only just to give but it has the idea of to give without expectation of getting anything back that is what ahava means to give 
without any expectation of getting anything back. Now, I want you to see this, that God is a giver. How many of you believe that God's a giver? I believe that God is a giver. I believe that God has shown us in his word that God is a giver. And before you get to Genesis chapter 22, we can see in the very first chapter of of the Bible that God is a giver. What does God do? God begins to give us this planet, this world, this universe. And he gives Adam and Eve a garden, places them and plants them in a garden. And not only gives them a place, but gives them a purpose. And, and he walks with them. He gives them his presence. And so what we see is that God is just giving and giving and giving and giving to them. And actually, what is amazing to me when I begin to think about that, that all throughout history, God is just giving and giving and giving. And it's amazing that God gives to people who doesn't even believe in him. That people are recipients of God's good gifts that they don't even believe that they came from God, Right? That, that is what's amazing, that God will give to people who don't even believe in him. That God will give them breath every day. They can get up and they can actually curse God with that breath, and God has allowed them to live. God has allowed them to continue on. You say, well, I wouldn't do that if I was God. I, God's better than me. I wouldn't do it if I was God either, right? But that's the reason I'm not God, right? He's much better than me. He's much better than you. And what he shows us is a much better plan, and so... God is a giver. God gives us and gives to us, and and he gives to us even without the expectation that we're going to give anything back. He wants us to give back, but he's going to give whether you give back or not. And and so this is who God has shown himself to be. God is a giver. John 3.16, we can quote this. Can you put that up there? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave what? His only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have life. He gave Jesus so that we could get life. Now, what's amazing about this story that Jesus was killed. He was crucified in the place that the story of Abraham and Isaac takes place. That's what's interesting to me. Is that if you go all the way back to the story in Genesis chapter 22, that God says, I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to go and give your son there as a sacrifice. And what God is doing is he is giving a foreshadowing of what he is going to do. Actually, he didn't even let Abraham complete the task. He says, Abraham, I want you to do what I'm going to do eventually. I want you to do and start the walk that eventually I am going to complete. And so God says, Abraham, go do something. But God provided an alternative for him. God provided um, the sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And he didn't allow Abraham to go through with it. But you know who did go through with it? God went through with it. God went through with it in John 3, 16, where he says, For I so love the world that I have given my only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God is a giver. God is a giver of good gifts. And God is love. God gives us love. God is love. Now, our culture today, and I'm, I'm gonna, I know some, some of y'all about to pucker up a little bit. Yeah, some of y'all. Our, our culture today says that love is love. I disagree with that. See, we don't define anything else like that. I don't come to you and say, Ryan is Ryan. I tell you, Ryan is pastor here at New Life Church. Ryan is the husband of Raina. 
Ryan is the father of Cannon and Kobe. So there are other ways that I have to describe who I am, and that gives you the better picture of not just who I am, but what I do. And so if we're talking about love, we cannot describe love as love because that doesn't make sense. We don't speak that way. I mean, it becomes a great slogan and a hashtag, and you see it all over social media. But it doesn't make sense, really. But when you take and you really get biblical with it and you, and you say, what is love? And you do find what love is. Because love is defined by the one who created love. Love is defined by the one who gave it away and gives it away to even those who don't give it back to him. Love is defined by God and God is love. And we could talk about that. And we see that. We see that here. I think about it like this. I think about love in our culture, like a Rubik's Cube. Anybody remember the Rubik's Cube? I'm, I'm pulling out a lot of 80s stuff here today, guys. If you're a child of the 80s, this is for you, right? All right, the Rubik's Cube. How many of you had a Rubik's Cube? How many of you were able to solve it? No, right? Oh, yeah, no, it's like, all right, I'm not talking about cheating where you ripped off the things and put, put it back on or you took it apart. You know, I'm talking about actually solve the cube. So this is it. This is a picture of how... You know, it would come, you know, you have this Rubik's Cube, and it's got all these colors on, on each side, and it's it's fun toy. And I think about love that what God has given us, kind of like this Rubik's Cube, that he hands us this Rubik's Cube, he hands us the cube, and what we've done throughout history is we've just tried to tweak it a little bit here and there. We've tried to make it our own. See, because that's what we have done with love is that instead of giving love, we've taken love and we've tried to make it our own. We've tried to take love and make it in the image of ourself instead of what is the original intent of love. And so like the Rubik's Cube, we keep turning it. And throughout history, and you could go, you could go read this in the Bible. Go read through the Old Testament stories. And you could see where families, and this is why I love the Bible, is not because it just tells you all the good stories. All, all the stories of what everybody just did great, right? That's, there's a lot of bad in here. There's a lot of dysfunction in here. There's a lot of dysfunctional families in here. You're like, why would God tell us that? Why would God, if he was writing his own book, put all the bad stuff in there? Because he knows that's where we're at, right? And so when we look back, we can look back at the dysfunction of everybody that came before us and everybody that took the cube and they tried to turn it and they tried to turn it and they turned it a little more and they turned it a little more. And so it's so out of order now that we don't know how to go back to what it used to look like. And we're frustrated. We live in a world that is frustrated, and, our, and, it, and it doesn't work. And so what I submit to you today is an alternative. Actually, I don't just submit to you an alternative. I submit to you today the original recipe. That's what I submit to you today, is the original recipe for love. And God defined love for us in and through Jesus. God defined love for us in and through Jesus. In John 17, 24, John 17, 24, and I'll just read it off the screen, Steve. And this is what Jesus prayed. This is what Jesus prayed. And I know that we already talked about Genesis chapter 22, where the first time we see love pop up in Scripture. But that's not where love started. This is where love started. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because what? You love me before what? The foundation of the world. 
So, so love existed before this world was even created. Love existed before we could even mess it up. Love was exi- existed before we took the Rubik's Cube and started twisting it and turning it. And it existed because it existed in God. It existed in the love that he had for his son. It existed in this relationship of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this triune God. This is where love exists. This is where love originated. And that's what we have to understand, that love existed before anything was created. God is love, and God is the embodiment of what it means. So what is that? Love originates in God. Love is defined by God, and love is modeled by God. You have to understand that love in the Hebrew, see, we, we always are wanting to define something. I get that because that's a Greek mindset. We, we all have a Greek mindset. Of we want to define something, you know, give me a definition of it, you know, so I can try to understand it. That's not how Hebrew thought works. Hebrew thought is this. You show me what love is. You do it so that I can do it. This is exactly what God has done. This is exactly what Jesus came to do. He came to show us what love is so that we could get that right. He came to show us what love is so that we could have a picture of that and say, not only have you done that, now you go and do it. This is exactly what he told his disciples. I am sending you out to do what I have done. I am sending you out to go and do and live the love and and live the mission and live the grace that I have come and brought and shown to you. You go do the same. See, this is what love is in Hebrew thought. God did this through Jesus. God showed us what love is through Jesus. Romans 8, 31 and 32. Can you put that up there? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but what? He gave himself up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is he showing us through this? He's showing us that love is sacrificial. He shows us that love through the The sacrifice of Jesus is not something that we just take it as something that is given. Jesus gave his life for us. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. Not while we were friends with Jesus. Not while we were buddy-buddy with Jesus. Not while we were saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm with you. It was when everybody was against him, when everybody was jeering at him, when everybody who supposedly loved him turned their back on him and ran away. Right? That is how Jesus gave his life. Jesus went to the cross when everybody ran out on him because he said, I am giving you love. I'm showing you what love looks like, even if you don't give it back. Even if you don't return it to me, because this is what love looks like. Love is the embodiment of God, and God is a giver, and God is giving it away. See, our world is good at taking. We take things. We take, we take, we take. And the world has taken a lot of things from you. There have been people who have taken things from you this past week. Somebody took something from me. My truck was, uh, was broken into on Thursday morning. Uh, when I got in, I got in, and, uh, broken into, I left the door unlocked, okay? So I, 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 everybody out there is like, you should have locked your door. Yes, I know that. And everybody on the community Facebook page told me that too. So thank you. You're just chiming in. So, so they got in my truck, and, and they, they, they found my secret hiding place for my Dairy Queen money, right? 
and now I can't go to Dairy Queen, right? So it might have been God-ordained now that I think about it, okay? And I can't be mad about that. But, but we live in a world that takes. Our world takes and takes and takes. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout these dysfunctional families, you see stories of families that take from one another. The very first family takes. Even Eve, what did God tell her? He told Adam and Eve both, don't touch that tree. You have all these other trees. I have given you every tree. One tree, don't. that's mine. That's my tree. You leave that tree alone. And what, when she saw that the fruit was good to the eyes, she took it. And see, we see that same thing play out over and over and over throughout history. We take things that don't belong to us and we try to make them ours and we try to make them into the image of us and the image of what we want and how we like it. And God is saying, what you've done is just tweak the Rubik's Cube and you don't know how to put it back together. But we have to go back to the original formula. We have to go back to the first place. And that's why we have to talk about first things. Because God has given us the pattern and he has set the pattern and the pattern helps us see what the rest should look like. And so love is sacrificial. Love takes the first step. Love is not only sacrificial, love takes the first step. Love is action. It's not just thought, it's not just a feeling. We, we, we talk about love in our culture as a feeling. We, it's something we fall into and fall out of. Well, I, I loved you for a little bit, and I don't love him anymore, right? I don't know how many people have come to my office and said, well, we just fell out of love, right? You never fell into it in the first place. What you thought was love was something else. In Hollywood, they, they model this, that they fall in and out of lust. It is not love that you fall in and out of. We fall in and out of lust, and I lusted for you for a little bit. Now I'm not lusting for you anymore. I'm lusting for something else. Is that too, is that too straightforward? Because this is what we do. We are people who have broken the Rubik's Cube. We have twisted it and messed it up, and now we say, we don't know how to put it back together, so let's just say this is normal. Love is sacrificial. Love takes the first step. 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love, just not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love requires action. Love requires a choice. See, when we have these feelings, and there's, and, I, and I, man, if you've been married for a while, you know that there are days probably you don't wake up and feel in love. And I'm just, I'm just, uh, this is, this is just be honest. There are days you wake up and it doesn't feel like that day where you you were standing at the altar in front of the pastor and you were saying your vows. You person looking at you's got bad breath. They got crazy hair, you know, and they're looking at you like this. It's like, woo, woo. Uh, maybe right at that moment, you don't feel love. You know what we do? We choose love. We make the choice for love because there are plenty of times that we don't feel love. And actually, that's what true love is, is when love is a choice. And love is the choosing, especially when maybe they don't choose you back. Because that's what God is showing us. Love is sacrificial. Love takes the first step. Love is loyal. 
it goes long. I, I, I don't know how many times anybody thrown the football. You know, we're throwing the football around. Inevitably, somebody's going to say, go long, right? What do they want you to do? They want you to run deep, you know, and they want to throw the ball deep. That's, that's what love does. Love goes deep. Love goes long. Love goes the distance. Love goes a long way. Love is that choice. And the reason love goes long is because love continues to choose day in and day out. Yes, I'm going to choose you. 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 Even though I don't feel like it right now, yes, I'm going to choose you. Love goes long in those moments because love is loyal. And we know that love is loyal because this is what is modeled by Jesus. This is the love that Jesus models for us, not this stuff of just falling in and out. John 14, 21. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The one who chooses, the one who chooses to show up day after day, moment after moment, even in the difficult times, even when you don't feel like it. This is what gets modeled for us. Love is sacrificial. Love takes the first step. And love is loyal. Last thing is this. I'm going to ask the band to come play. Love isn't a feeling to fall into. Love is our reflection of Jesus and our choices and our actions. Love is not a feeling that we fall in and out of. This is us when we say, today I'm going to reflect Jesus because Jesus chose me. And you know what? I'm going to choose his way, and I'm going to choose the way that he loved. And I'm not going to let this be molded and shaped by anybody else, by culture or what anybody else says. The picture that I'm going by and the matrix and the grid that I'm making my decisions by are what Jesus has modeled for me. It's what God has modeled for me because it's his original recipe. It is what he has given to us from the very beginning. So if you ever have a question, just like the old song, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. He did. He did. If you want to know what love is, he did show us. He has been showing us all throughout Scripture, specifically and most clearly in the life of Jesus. We see that. This is what love is. This is what love is. So if there's a question, we can't go back to the original picture. If we've messed up the game, if we've messed up the cube, we got a picture of what it was when we started. And that's what we have to go back to. Why don't you stand with me? Honestly, today I don't really know how to answer this altar call. I'm not sure what that looks like for you, okay? So I'm not. family.
you're the God of the first things. You are the God of the original recipe. You are the God that shows us and models to us what this looks like. So Lord, I pray today that we don't have to feel bad. We don't, we don't have to feel confused. We, we don't have to feel conflicted. Lord, all we have to do is just run to you. Turn to you. Ask for you. Show me what this looks like. Show me what this looks like in marriage. Show me what this looks like as a parent. Show me what this looks like as a boss. Show me what this looks like as an employee. God, show me what like to those around me. Help me to live this right. Help me to live this in a way that you intend, and not for the way that maybe I find easy or convenient. Lord, love calls us in a lot of inconvenient moments to do maybe the hardest thing in the world. So love is not easy a lot of times. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for you